Guys, this is airy in the air, and I'm sick. I uh, I am sick. So I'm going to avoid giving you too much intro here, but I will say that this is the third episode with Alexander Bard. He's back because we're on a fucking tear. Him and I get along really good, and we're digging into some stuff that I'm really interested in and he's been talking about for a long time. Today, we are going to talk about sex and relationship advice for men. And it's not just for men, but it is kind of towards men. So if you're a woman listening to this, I, I can guarantee it's going to be insightful. Um, so let's get into it. If you're listening to this podcast and you like it, please share it around and consider becoming a patron on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash in the air. That would be so helpful. Also, I am taking philosophical clients philosophical coaching clients that's area in the air.com slash coaching check it out without further ado here's a little music and my talk with the scandinavian philosopher king himself alexander bard This is off the record, but we can record anyway. So I pushed got it there. So there we well, go. it's not necessarily off the record because, but, <laughs> but with a person like you, I figure that there's very little that you would say that you wouldn't be okay with having published to my podcast. Um, mm. No, the thing that I, I kind of like, the thread that I stayed on with James, um, you know, he's kind of coming from the angle of like polyamorosity is like a, virtuous or like a positive uh relational dynamic and what i kind of was pulling on was that there's actually a way to have that positive dynamic in any relationship regardless of the structure and yeah. that's kind of like the insistence that i would do my work between stimulus and response yeah right? Be- between our relationship bringing up all of my stuff and responding with you're too much there's like my work is there and it's kind of like an insistence that I would both do my work and that it's safe in our relationship to share my work and or feelings with you, which is something that you kind of on our last conversation, you kind of um, insinuated that this wasn't actually what you should be doing in relationship. And so maybe this is a good place for us to start because I think that here you can give me, you can give just a little bit more specific. It's almost like relationship advice here. Mm-hmm. So let's start. Well, for examples, I'm, I'm very relationship hippie. advice with Alexander Bard. This is a fucking black box <laughs> business to carry. Once we open this, it might be hard to go back. Yeah, I'm now actually officially a Sufi monk as well. So there you go. That's amazing. But let's <laughs> let's officially start our our recording here. Okay, but well, uh, I'd say that uh, when somebody talks to me about polyamorosity, 
um, I would say that what are the alternatives and what what is your relationship to to the alternatives? I want you to have your back covered, when, especially when it comes to something like monogamy, since that has been a standard, a public standard, at least in our society for quite a while. So I, I think it's a good place to start from. It's just to look at, look at, put a drawing table out there, a drawing board, and let's say that what are the alternatives when it comes to different lifestyles? And of course, people here generally talk about sexuality. And, and then the next question is, so what relationships do you have to begin with? I think it's quite, this is quite obvious to people who, for example, have a best friend who they do psychedelics with. It's undeniable that psychedelics is least as intimate and as intense sexuality is. Mm. And very often it's men who, who discover that they have psychedelic relationships with brothers, but they usually prefer to have sexual relationships with women. And I say that's a perfect combo. But right there, you got polyamorosity. Polyamorosity isn't necessarily where you put your dick or where, where you make yeah. your pussy available. Not at all. This is about what kind of relationships you have in your life and what are the relations between those relationships uh -huh. and how uh, sincere or honest are you with your partners about that? Or how much do your partners don't want to know about it? You know, it's, the partners might prefer to say that, yeah, but you have other forms of intimacy that have nothing to do with me. For example, a woman says to a man, I would like you to have really intimate relationships with other men because those relationships will not compete with our relationship. They will make our relationship stronger. So, so the pointer is to, to remove the old polyamorosity versus monogamy dichotomy and start looking at relationships overall. And we're now discovering that we go into the spiritual that intimacy, trust, you know, even ecstasy, even trauma, you know, the things you go through and share with other people, which is what relationships are about. There's so many different varieties of those. That they need to be sorted out. And this is here in Scandinavia, the major problem is that you're supposed to have best friends if you're a guy until you meet that girl who you romantically fall in love with. And not only are you expected to be monogamous with her, you're also suddenly expected to turn her into your best friend. Hmm. All your previous best friends were men and suddenly a woman is going to be your best friend. And what happens is that you have all these expectations thrown into one relationship and the relationship fails miserably because you've just taken a variety of relationships you should have and throw them all into one box. Uh -huh. That's the, that's and that's why you have disaster. And this is what I want people to work with. I have no problem at all with people who go monogamous. I often recommend them to go sexually monogamous, especially if they're going to have babies for a while, at least, you know, but, but when it comes to relationship, look at the entire sit down in front of the, in front of your different partners at a drawing board and say, what kind of relationships do we have? Yeah. And so there's a couple of things I hear here. One is that, by looking at relationships overall, by zooming out and having a meta-awareness of relationships, you can parse out what we mean by polyamory and stop confusing it with your sexual relationship logistics or structure. Yes. Um, basically, if you have deep, meaningful relationships with other men and you want to sexually engage with women, you're already in the realm of polyamorosity. It doesn't matter what you're doing with, as you say, your dick specifically. Exactly. Polyamorosity. Yeah. So loving it's, several people, being loved by several people. Yeah. And, and of I course think it should be loved by many people and many deep loving relationships. I would even say that when a woman gives birth to a child and gives breast to the child, they have a sexual relationship. 
the sexual relation between the mother and the child for a year. And men often feel abandoned because suddenly the baby got all the attention mm -hmm. from the tit and the girl that they, they love. And of course, they have to step aside because the, the baby needs that tit for a year. But that is a sexual relationship. Okay, so it's more it, sense is, to describe it that way. Is it is it going too far to say that just in the sense that there is a spiritual development in our consciousness where we can transcend these layers of identity and we can start with the the me consciousness to the which is the role self into the I consciousness, the individuated self, and then to the we consciousness, me and you, and then in larger and larger concentric circles, we can understand our relationship to larger and larger holes going all the way to family, tribe, nation, ecology, all the way out to cosmos. Is that kind of a a relational parallel here where in our last talk, you, you called it just being an adult, uh, an adult. Yeah. Is I agree. Like being except, able to be yeah, agree. Able to except it's the other see, way around. It's the other way the around. Relationship. Okay. We are How social is... creatures. We're tribal. So tribal is first category. I call this tribal poesis. We are tribal poetic creatures. So it starts with tribe and goes down to smaller, which is clan, all the way down to family. And then finally you arrive at your, what you call your individuated self. I just call you individual, right? I think the self is a byproduct of social relations. It starts with you and mother. It starts with you, mother, father. It starts with you, mother, father, and grandmother, and grandfather, and all the other people around you when you grow up and siblings and everything. We are deeply social. We're born social. We are a byproduct of a mother. <laughs> so the, the, the individuated self, which to me is a very American idea, actually the Cartesian self, is something I don't pay too much attention to. You are a byproduct of relations. You are a relata, but the relation is prior to the relata. You know, it, the umbil umbilical cord, you know, that's where life starts. So yeah, I would say it goes the other way. And this is why I'm so big on tribal and, and without tribal, you don't have an identity and, and you need that social identity to start from to feel trusted and feel comfort and feel safety with other people. So we are in a multiple, we are in multiple relations from the very beginning. Yeah. And, and, and what you're question, saying question, is just to be able to sexual, realize sexual, that. Yeah. A sexual partner is then just an added relationship. Mm -hmm. and, and of course, what makes sense, to, for example, if you, have a, if you have a relationship with a woman and you have other relationships with other women that are sexual too, is that it doesn't make any sense for you to get two women that are the same. Mm -hmm. The first thing you discover is that if you have a sexual relationship with another woman, it's because another side of you mm. has a relationship with that woman who's different from the other woman. And this is where sexual polyamorosity starts to make sense. And when guys come to me and ask for advice and, and they want to fuck a lot of women who are exactly like the girlfriend, I'm saying, what's the point? <laughs> you got your girlfriend, go closer, deeper with her uh -huh. and stay with her. And if you then going into other sexual relationships, maybe with her, you know, like you and your best friend could also fuck a woman together. And that could be, you know, fantastic. Once you start exploring sexuality, it can be three or four and go ritual rather than just being too isolated in a bedroom somewhere, trying to keep the noise level down, but rather it could be three or four or even more. Once you discover that's a possibility, sexuality starts to make sense. Then, then you, you, by starting from say four rather than from two, it all starts to make a lot more sense.
Does that make sense to you? That you are a social creature first. It's not me and then I and then we in that order. Well, I, you, I you, you rather that, arrive at that at the end of, of, of the line, so to speak. I guess there's, I, I can hear and, and make sense of what you're saying, but I think that the way that I've understood it in the past is through the lens of psychological development and also like Ken Wilber's integral theory, where as a, an infant, an infant actually doesn't have individuation at all. It doesn't realize that it's different from the mother. And then these psychological differentiations of separateness come online. And then as a small child, we are just looking for our role. Like, tell me what to do, mom and dad. Like, how do I fit in here? And then, you know, so many people are stuck in that for the rest of their lives. But some people realize that they want to break out of role and find out who the fuck they are and, and what makes them tick and they, they get to there. And so I think that the way I've thought of it for a long time is, is kind of through psychological development of from infancy to adulthood and beyond adulthood and into, um, you know, like to, to really be super hippie here, like a cosmological consciousness that can comprehend and uh, be considerate of the entire thing that is in existence. Well, I don't believe such a thing exists. I don't think the universe needs a consciousness. I think you need the consciousness to survive. It's evolutionary developed. And human beings as a species uh, spent an awful lot of energy developing a very large brain and the world of signs and symbols, which we call language, and make, which makes us different from other flock animals. But we are deeply a flock animal. What, what we call instinct in our work, is what we share with animals. But then on top of instinct, we also have a drive, which is more mechanic. And that's a result of a desire a desire is built on language, which is, is exclusive human. We can even imagine transcendence. We can imagine giving up ourselves for some larger, bigger goal for our children or, or you know, suffering, you know, dying for our country, whatever. It's called transcendence. But instinct is what we share with the animals, but we then have drive and desire and transcendence on top of that as well. And this is why I go deep on psychoanalysis. Wilbur is, is okay as a psychologist, but he's not a psychoanalyst. So he doesn't discuss, for example, how you in your development as a child, you have rivalry. Your rivalry with other kids, your rivalry with your dad if you're a man, you know, your rivalry with your mother if you're a girl, etc. So the rivalry is there and it's also crucial for your development to understand those things. And it's not like we're going towards a consciousness that can sort of feel and understand all these things and then sort of have some kind of rational formula, how you get harmony and balance in the whole thing. There's no such thing. Actually, human beings are deeply subconscious and we are subconscious almost all of the time and we make almost all our decisions based on subconsciousness, but rivalry and all kinds of dark shit goes on as well. And we just have to be honest that that's the case. And then we rationalize our behavior in hindsight and make them look necessary. Like I did yeah. this because I had to, because I wanted that, whatever. And you make up a story about yourself afterwards why you did the things you did. But is this, this is a what, story yeah. of maturation to realize what is in subconscious and become aware of it and integrate it into consciousness? Isn't no. that the story of maturation? No. no, the story of maturation is to understand how subconscious you really are. 
That's the only thing it can be conscious of. You can be conscious. You can only be conscious of the fact your subconsciousness actually operates at all time. Mm-hmm. That's exactly why your feelings are not integrated with your with, with your thoughts. And the conflict, especially among men, the conflict between your feelings and your thoughts is what makes you a man. The dichotomy is what makes you a man. The, the contradiction makes you a man. Understanding that there's a constant contradiction going, in, going on inside of you, there's no harm in any balance involved, there's especially not when it comes to sexuality. One of the driving forces of sexuality is precisely that there is no harmony, no balance. That's why you're seeking sexual intercourse with the partner of the opposite gender. So we're dealing with that all the time. That's, that's, that's what consciousness has to arrive at. It is going to be spiritual. It has to give up on the idea that there's any harm or balance to be found anywhere. It has to understand that you're completely dependent on other human beings for all your needs and your desires. You are constantly involved in relationships with other human beings. And all you can do is to be as honest about that and share a consciousness, obviously, with your partners. So if you go into a modern relationship, you have to sit down with your partner and discuss where you're at and look at your respective trajectories. And that's also when you can discover beforehand that maybe you should split up and then you can go different ways. You can do so amicably and peacefully because you just realize both of you that you actually your trajectories are going to different ways instead of pretending that you have the same trajectory, covering it over and then have an explosive divorce all of a sudden in the middle of the relationship. Mm. That's just an example of that. So you can be conscious of how your subconsciousness decides for you what you're doing. And what do you think that process looks like? I have my own ideas. <laughs> it's called psychoanalysis. Psychoanalysis basically learning how little you can actually control of the world and how little you understand what's going on. And it makes you more modest and it, it makes it, 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 you arrive at a point where at least you've been exposed to your subconsciousness and how it operates. You understand your drives, your desires, possibly your transcendence, your instincts. You get it. And, and you get realistic expectations on your life. And you can even help others when you're going through that process to also be realistic about their expectations on life. Hmm. It's like um, where you can admit that the subconscious is the, not just the things that you don't know, but it's actually unknowable to begin with. It's not unknowable. That's why we use subconsciousness in our work. And I never use the Freudian term unconsciousness. Hmm. The subconscious, think of it more like a computer, like this is the hard drive. And, and, and you, can only, you can only process a certain amount of information at any given time. And your knowledge is always imperfect. There are always things you don't know about. And if you're smart, like if you're conscious, you know how little you actually know at any given time. Your brain can only process certain things at any given time to solve certain problems. Then it drops those things and it takes on other problems to solve those. That's what your brain is busy with. And your sense of self is very much tied to problem solving. Actually, your sense of self is its strongest. When there's a problem you cannot solve, you have to put that problem aside. So Mm. say you got to put a problem in a box and say, well, I'll take care of that tomorrow. That's actually ironically your, your strongest sense of self. So the self is a problem-solving mechanism. And then you go on and you go through these things and, and you process them. And, and, and eventually there's tons of shit going on in you at all times, but you can actually have access to them temporarily. Like you, it's like you got an old library to go through and find things, you know, that you felt or you, it, it, and then you go down into your subconsciousness and then you realize subconsciousness actually, it dictates your feelings to begin with. All your emotions come from there. 
they're out of your control. But by being aware of them, you can prepare. So you can rationalize. You have the freedom to rationalize towards the future. Like, okay, this is my trajectory. This is where I'm going. This is what I really, really want to do. And this is why I really want to do it. And this is why I can pursue it. And I'm probably going to stay with that emotion as well as I proceed forward. Getting to know yourself is certainly something you can do, but then you have to get to know your own subconsciousness, not your consciousness. We are not logically operating. People who believe that that anything can be controlled and logically operated are usually autistic, and they very much fail at social relations. Yeah. Okay. That's an interesting conception of maturation there and and what i heard was that maturation is coming to terms with how subconsciously derive your feelings and behaviors and almost existence really are in our last conversation you referred to the goal of relationships being to be an adult. And if you want to be an 11-year-old Peter Pan who wants his girlfriend to be monogamous, but he still sleeps around and has his cake and eat it too, that's obviously a infantile thing. How do you describe, and you're alluding to what I would say is a hard reality, that personhood is an achieved state of being, adulthood is an achieved state of being, what is it that is adulthood here? Okay, so you've got a relationship with a woman. You're thinking of sleeping around. Uh, my advice is go deeper with her first and find that very point where she says, okay, this is enough. This is us. This is what we find in each other. This is where we can meet each other. I expect you now to go off and see other people about other needs you have, including seeing other men about the needs you have as a man to have brothers around you. And that's why women love men who have strong relationships with men. They're sexually attractive because they're safe and fine and get recognition from other men. So they don't, they don't have to seek recognition from her. Or they, they can deliver sexuality to her, which she will very much enjoy. So look at the overall picture. My advice to men generally is that what you can find from other men, find from other men. And then go to woman. And woman is then more than tit and pussy. She's not more than that. She is woman. She's a different character. To begin with, she's exotic. Mm-hmm. She is from outer space compared to you. And she will find you to be exotic. And that's exactly what makes it sexually attractive. And then you can go all in on that. Once you've gone all in on that, it will discover that there are certain needs you have sexually that she cannot meet or she's not interested in meeting them. There's certain sexual fantasies and needs she has that have nothing to do with you. And then you can welcome other people into a relationship. And that's when polyamorosity works. But, Sexually. It, but escaping, escaping depth, being terrified of depth, being terrified of going really close with a woman is a really, really bad start for uh-huh. going polyamorous and sleeping around because you, you, your primary relationship will certainly fail if that's the case. Yeah, so uh, I agree with that. But what do you... How would you, what's the, what's the line towards adulthood here? If you think that that is, I guess that's kind of like a, an example, but what is, what is personhood that we're looking for? Like the maturation 
towards adulthood? What is it? How do we define that so that we can specifically guide development towards adulthood? Going deep. Mm, so depth. an 11-year-old won't go deep. An 11-year-old uh, will just jump from one thing to the next. Yeah. yeah. Right? See, if you stay 11 years old, you're terrified of depth because you're just jumping narcissistically from one thing to the next. Everything in your life is like that to begin with. You find it very hard to stay with the path. Once you're adult, you can stay with the path. Here's my trajectory. Here's where I'll go. It's going to take years to get there. I will get there. And that includes relations with other adults. Uh-huh. So that's adulthood. Yeah. And you take full responsibility for the decisions you make. They are your own decisions. Mm. You stay with them. We call that truth as an act. To become truthful to yourself is to stay loyal to the decisions you've made. Yeah. So if, you, if, you, if you've looked into your subconsciousness and you've seen exactly where you're heading, for example, what archetype you have, what kind of man you are, what you should explore in your life, how, how you can, in a meaningful way, contribute to humanity or contribute to your tribe, to be more precise. Once you figure that out, you stay with that path. There's no reason to do anything else. That's your top priority. Just like a primary relationship in the world of polyamorosity is a priority relationship. But it's not the only one. Because yeah. you have many relationships in your life. Yeah, that makes so much sense. I, so my experience is this. When guys come to me and talk about polyamorosity, what they discovered is, for example, that they have a relationship with a woman and they've then done psychedelics with their male friends and she wants to be part of that. And then they get stressed. And then they ask me for advice. I said, you just tell her she's not part of it. That's a perfect place for her to train. And what you tell her is to go and see your sisters and share that experience with other women. Mm -hmm. Because the psychedelic experience, if you go deep on that one, should stay with your own gender, especially if you're heterosexual. And this mm -hmm. is why I say, don't do sex and drugs together. It will fuck up your love life in no time at all. If you do tantric sex, no drugs involved whatsoever. And if you do tantric drugs, then you stay out of the sex. The two different tantras should not be mixed if you want to go really deep on them. But it's perfect to then do your psychic experience with your brothers and then have women to have great sexual relationships with. Mm. That, that's my main recommendation for people not to start making mistakes. Very few people can then mix the two. Some relationships are of that nature. They're called shamanic relationships, but they're rare. Mm. Very rare. Okay. I want to bring up this term that I think you and I are defining slightly differently and it's intimacy. And the way that I'm kind of thinking about this relates to depth in relationship. And I think you've got some strong thoughts on this. Um, intimacy, is it, like intimacy with sex is a masculine fantasy. It's not a feminine fantasy. It's on the male side. Well, I guess we we got to talk about our terms here for a moment because... But we don't have a woman here. She would probably protest and says that, yeah, I like sex with men. I'm not really interested in intimacy with men. That's what most women say. And I guess, I, we, yeah, like I said, we got to define some terms here. I intimacy is sharing what's real in the moment. And that can be... Emotionally, I would define emotional intimacy as being sensitive enough to know what's going on inside of myself and courageous enough to articulate it to the other. And then, Men love to do that, yes. And then 
I would define sexual intimacy as like being sensitive to what arouses you and courageous enough to share that with the other. I, I, no, the sharing with the other is the problem here. Men love to confess to women constantly and they turn their women into therapists and women hate it. Hmm. Women don't want to know everything. They certainly don't want to hear your story telling about everything you do. They want your dick. They want to get fucked. They want great sex. The problem on the female side is that women then associate sex directly with love. Men are actually uncomfortable with that. Love is better expressed during the date, prior to the sexual act. So the sexual act can be really, really horny and gutsy and and fun, right? But I prefer to talk about sex as sex and stay with the sex. Because it turns out that when men fantasize about finding intimacy in women, Women fantasize about finding love at exactly the same place in men, and it's not the same thing. Since love and intimacy are then two fantasies on the masculine and feminine side, respectively, it means that sexuality plays a trick with you. You think you're going to find something in women when you fuck them. They think they're going to find certain things with you when they fuck you. You're not finding those things in each other. That's precisely why you return and fuck each other again. That's how nasty nature is. It's a very clever trick by nature, by the way. You never get what you wanted. And that's why you have to go back and have sex with women again. Otherwise, you would Mm. be attracted sexually to women. Mm. Very interesting. And men talk about intimacy all the time. They also talk a lot about confession. The The standard version of that is that the man has been, he's been unfaithful. And he tells me he really wants to go and tell his partner that he's been unfaithful. And my recommendation is that most women don't want to hear that. And when they hear it, they have to react on it. They have to value it because they've just heard it. And they probably have to skip you all together and say, fuck off, leave me. I don't want to see you ever again. Because not because you weren't faithful. They might have disliked that, but that's not why they break up with you. They break up with you because you're so fucking selfish. You have to go to her and confess to her, although you should never ask for it. And most women in psychonauts say, that men confess way too much to them, tell them way too much about what they feel, tell them too much, overdo it theatrically, and it's not very interesting to hear. Hmm, you, is... you, should, you should have best friends to confess to, and especially you go to an older man and ask for advice in your life. Never, ever make your sexual partner your therapist. It is disastrous. It's one of the most common mistakes. Your sexual partner is not your therapist. Therapy kills the fun. Get out of that loop. Okay. And the the answer to the loop there is when you feel like having this emotional, as I described it, an emotional intimacy with a woman, whereas that you're sensitive to what you're feeling and you're verbally articulating it and sharing it. Yeah, that is it's called it's called the kissing role. the feet, kissing the feet of the queen, as a woman call it. Hmm. Yeah, it, it's not it's not big with women. It's hmm. not big with women, to be honest. The she essence- wants to hear, she wants to hear she's special during the date. She wants your attention during the date. She wants her presence during the date. That's what dates are for, and that's why women love dates because they 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 get on fire at a good date, and then they want to sleep with you, and then they don't want to hear the things you told them at the date. They want to get fucked. Mm. Two totally different things. And they don't want you to sit and kiss their feet as if you were some kind of a troubadour and she was some kind of a princess. No, that's just immature. Yeah. 
not yeah. sexy. Yeah, this is really, I, I think we're getting into some of the nuts and bolts here that I was hoping for you to clarify from our last conversation. And that the essence of what I'm hearing is basically a deep understanding of what is served by each of your different relationships, having a meta awareness of, as you've called it, polyamorosity, where you have an ecology of relationships from the very beginning that you never have just related to one woman at one time. You've never, like your own existence demands that you've never related to one person at a time. That's just oh. not a fucking, that's just an illusion from the get go. And then understanding that allows you to then put the different needs that you have on the different relationships. And there's also an emphasis in what you're saying that most of what you should, most of your needs should be derived by your same gender, right? Yeah. That, that if you're a man, most of your needs for um, companionship and um, camaraderie, adventure, um, and intimacy, this verbal intimacy, should be derived by men. Your sexual intimacy is something that you get to have with someone of your opposite sex. And if you can keep that as clean as possible, that the need that you're having met in that relationship is sexual expression, you're saying that that's best. I also, there's like in this analogy here that I... I'm curious what you think of, which is like, I actually, as I, as I say that, I start to imagine what you think of it instead of, in, instead of just, <laughs> I'm like, I could probably tell, I could probably guess here and, um, and maybe I'll propose it and guess. And, and that's like your same sex, your relationships with your same sex are like yourself. They're more like you. And so Having a relationship with the opposite sex, this is analogous to saying, don't put all of your needs on this one relationship. You should be able to meet those needs yourself, essentially. And when I say yourself there, I mean yourself with your same thing that you are, which is your that other- word is, That word is recognition. Seek recognition from other men and from yourself, not from women. To be seen, to be recognized, to be yeah, uh, to be recognized, to be seen and recognized. Yeah, you get that from other men, and you get it from from yourself. Once you have it in yourself and from other men, then you go to woman to deliver. That's what women want from you. They want to deliver. They don't want to recognize you. They don't. They don't want to be the person to recognize. They don't want to be your judge. Never. Hmm. They hate that. They okay. want you to deliver to them like. They're a fantastic woman. You're a heterosexual man. You find her sexy and gutsy and funny and attractive. And that's what she wants to be seen as. And once she's seen as that and she thinks you're cute, whatever, she will fuck you, right? That's not recognition. Though. She's not recognizing you. You have to find the recognition among other men. This also explains why when you go into the, the, the world of male sex addiction, it always starts with a terrible relationship with a mother. Mm. It's always a mother issue. The one relationship you had from the very beginning was with the woman, was with your own mother, before you started to have a relationship with your father and with other men. And you had to get out of that relationship with mother. At a certain age, you just had to get out of it. 
And what you do then psychoanalytically speaking is that you start hating her tit because you don't want to suck it so you can love her. You can still love your mother, but you have to hating the tit. This is called the objection of the mamilla. That has to happen because you then prepare yourself one day being sexually attracted to other women. So your journey towards other women than your mother start when you objectify your mother's tit, the mamilla. The mamilla is pushed away and you must not seek the mamilla again. Yeah. Rather, you can then sexualize the breasts of other women eventually mm-hmm. as you grow up. And in your teenage years, that's exactly what happens. Yeah. So okay, hold on, sex, hold on, sex, hold on, hold sex, on, hold on, hold on. Sex addiction explains this because sex addiction is then a rep- repetitive return to your mother's tit constantly as if you want to punish it. And then you punish other women who are not your mother. And that's what you do when you do sex addiction. So okay. this is why these two things go together. Okay. To go back, because basically, and I, I want to like understand where you're coming from as heartily as I can, because I think that you are in a, this is an amazing poll that is, that has polarity from modern relationship advice. And modern relationship advice, it talks about, to, to synthesize the entire field <laughs> briefly, um, that relationships, you, what you're seeking for in relationships is a polite, there's a politeness to it and there's a reciprocation. And what I heard you say was that you shouldn't be seeking recognition from a woman you shouldn't be seen you shouldn't be looking to be seen there and I, I i wonder what you would say specifically to the balance of service to appreciation what does that what is how do we square that circle are we as men constantly being seen and recognized by other men and taking and delivering and serving to women only to never be recognized by them? What it, square the yes. circle for me. Yes. To not be recognized by them. Train that away. Get rid of it. So you deliver to woman, meaning that you can then truly enjoy the sexual encounter with a woman because you get more pleasure out of giving her pleasure than having pleasure yourself. Yeah, but in the in the world that's, that's that I live in- That's when you are in, a true male heterosexual, yes. Yeah, but the, in the world that I live in, like I end up relating to women and to my sexual partner in so many other contexts than just sex. Yeah. Right. Like there's just so much surrounding life that I don't know how I apply this advice to my relationship. If all I'm doing to woman is sex and all and everything else is with man, because I relate to women in so many other ways. So how do I. Well, it's not banned. You can do it. If it works, you're fine. So, but my, 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 my point here is that by looking for the right things in sex and not the wrong things, your sex life will improve immensely. And that's the point. Yeah. I think if that's a better, amazing if you have a better advice. sex life, your woman will stay with you and you will stay with her. And then you can have other partners in addition to that, if you and her, she agree on that. And, and you can have your own plan and you, you have your own rules set up that you two, the two you're comfortable with. And you can then become role models for other relationships. I like that. But, but I want to get yeah. to the nut and bolt here that in your sexual relationship, as a man, you shouldn't be seeking recognition from the woman. And where it, 
and and I should train that away. So, so just like kind of elaborate there. What does that look like? What does that what does that look like? Okay, romanticism is a perfect point here. Romanticism lasts for a few months, then it's over and done with. And then you must love the woman mm-hmm. you're going to be with if you're going to stay with her. So romanticism is basically a fantasy you have that will eventually implode. It's there to make you interested in her. It works evolutionarily, but it won't stay. Um, if you look for recognition in women, you will go romantic, and you will then get so hooked to the romantic fantasy that when romanticism is gone with the woman, you will leave her and try to find another woman. You're then no longer looking for a woman at all, just looking to have your romantic kick. Yeah, I get satisfied. it. And this is what happens when you seek recognition in women. It won't last long. Yeah. Women won't like it. They won't like it. They, they, don't, they don't want to sit with you at a date and be the judge. Like you try to impress them and you try to be recognized by them. Uh-huh. Like you tell them about the whole day you had and you want them to say you had a good day or you're a good guy or whatever. They just sick of that. It's not sexy. Yeah, if you it. think about actually, you just think about what recognition seeking in women, what that actually is, how men behave, where they do it. And you try to imagine what it's like to be a woman and hear the things you hear from a guy's yeah, recognition from her. It's people pleasing. You, you, yeah, exactly. She will get exactly people pleasing. She will get very bored with you very quickly. Yeah, it's it's an how I would, in my words, I would basically say that if you're 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 in, it's like an infantile seeking of approval, as opposed yes. to having your own confidence and your own crew that that supports you and acknowledges you and and um, holds you up and lifts you up and you don't need to people please i think that the exactly is, if you go, if some... you if you if you go on a date the woman wants you to present your vision or where you want to go in life and your strategy how you're going to get there especially the vision so that she can then agree yeah, or disagree exactly that's Join what she or wants not. to do and a man who cannot take that a woman says no to him is not a man at all. Yeah. So if, you, if you're so afraid of getting the no from her and you try to falsely envision something to yeah, people please, please. Yeah. exactly. So she will say yes to you. She will discover that and she will not be interested in you. That's yep. exactly what kills a date. So be uncompromising about your vision and how you're going to get there. Preferably even give her a small role in that vision. There's a strategy to it. Like, um, I think a woman like you might want to be part of this plan and it might even overlap with your own plans in life. And she can go, wow, actually does, you know, relationship right there. Yeah, I think that- Because you've been uncompromising about your own desire. You've been uncompromising about your own vision. And when she asked for it, you presented your own vision or where you want to get in life. And that's exactly where she she finds you to be strong. You're so strong, you don't really need her to complete your vision, but you'll be happy to have her on board to be part of it. That's when a woman loves to say yes. I love this. And I, yes. I think that there's, yes. there's, this is like, just as far as I can tell, this is good advice. I want to ask about a particular um, situation in relationships between men and women that is in parenting. And as we've talked in the past, there is an intensification of, relationship when you start to bear children and when you start to bear children the relationship between the man and woman it shifts a bit and i'm wondering 
if any of your advice that you've just given in the last seven minutes still applies to the father and the mother in their more pragmatic relationship around raising children? Does the Is the man still seeking a really clear distinction between never seeking approval or recognition from the woman in that same instance? There's even less recognition seeking to be found yeah, here once there the kids needs are around. To be less, huh? When the kids are around, expect all of the romantic shit to go out the door. Yeah. And expect to be running a corporation together with a woman. Yeah. That's what you do when you raise a family. And that's what you must enjoy. So sex isn't guaranteed any longer. It comes when it comes. You have to work on it to get the sexual attraction back, whatever. But you've actually put a child into the world together. And the child is your and her genes mixed. That's a fantastic thing. You've got to focus on the fact that, wow, we're having children together. We're really serious. Meaning your family that you're raising now, it's, it's like a really good corporation. It's a company you're running together. And that's why I say that if you, if you looked at having children and raising a family separately from romantic love and sexual attraction, if you dare to look at them separately, the ideal marriage for raising kids is actually self-arranged marriage. Like think of it as an arranged marriage, but you and the woman arrange it. So like don't marry a woman and have children with her unless she's really devoted to that. And she has a plan and you have a plan how you're going to do it together. And then mm. you can have a really great family and have a loving relationship as well. And then eventually as, as you go along and the kids come along and the family is there, then maybe you can open up the relationship towards polyamorosity. I just wouldn't do it when you intensely are there, when she's pregnant and having the baby or things like that. But after a year or so, usually you can start discussing those things again. Or maybe she goes, why don't we have another baby first? And then we start exploring something you know, together or separately. And that's and you can go, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Meaning the marriage is first. It is the primary relationship more than anything. Having another baby could be your top priority. And then after that, you could start exploring separately or together, whatever you like. But I'm just advising people that monogamy is probably there as a deep instinct in us due to child rearing and, and having babies. It's probably not there before that. And it's probably not there afterwards. And when monogamy is forced on a relationship with the kids are like 10, 15 years old, I think that's quite pathetic. It's about time to go out there in the world and have adventures in your relationship because the kids this. are doing fine, right? So- there's a kind of a through thread there, whereas maturity in a man is to be able to have your needs met and be confident and secure enough in yourself to serve your woman and your family without needing a constant approval and head padding so that you can continue doing it. You're not doing it for the head padding. Exactly. Now you're an adult man. That's now you're exactly an adult. What you just you're just, yeah. Yeah. And exactly. And, and when you think about this, where the man is is mature and an adult and serving his wife and family or his lover, is this, are we thinking of this as service? Is this a service? Yep. Woman is delivery station. And where does this fall into... Where's this? Because there's a there's almost a, a tinge of like uh, physical materialism here, where it's like uh, the world is only atoms and molecules. And where's the where's the spiritual part here? Is there a 
Is there a spiritual calling in a man to serve women and children? Yes. What is it? Tell me. We don't give birth to babies. Women do. Okay. So you're connecting just the thread of the universe and existence that if you are a man and you want to be aligned with existence itself, then you have to be aligned with family and reproduction. And in our last call, you mentioned that our there there's a metric that we could use in humanity to see how well we're doing, which is women's willingness to reproduce, to rear, to to bear children. Yes, because so, it's an- the, so the, again, men and women don't match. That's the beauty of it. Uh, women are will to reproduction. Men are will to transcendence. So the basic function in men, what we want our babies is that the babies will grow up one day and survive us and bury us and we can die in peace. Mm -hmm. That's how men see children. Whereas women see children just like, oh, I'm going to do what my mother did and I'm going to have babies like my mother did and I'm perfectly happy to reproduce. So the the will to power in each in women is a will to reproduction and the will to power in men is a will to transcendence. This is a difference between the two. So the third one, which is interesting here, is what I do. I'm a Sufi monk. I'm an abbot these days. I'm running, uh, you know, and I adopt monks and certainly some nuns as well and mentorships. That's how I became a parent. So I didn't get, I didn't get birth to my own biological children with a woman. My girlfriend is, is certainly not interested. She's, she's, she's an abbotist. She's doing exactly like I do. That's why we're, we're a couple. So what you do instead is that I then go into the third round, which is will to intelligence. And will to intelligence is necessary among human beings for the entire tribe to work. That's exactly what good culture has monasteries and it has complementary functions to the family. And when you remove monasteries, like we did in Protestant Europe and North America, family becomes very fragile. You can, mm. you can look at the world map and discover that cultures without monasteries have much higher divorce rates than cultures that have monasteries. Precisely because monasteries are there to support the family as a larger family. Through wisdom. Wisdom, exactly. And this is what is called will to intelligence. And the people who become monks and nuns are always eager to learn and learn and learn and learn and learn. And they discover that they have siblings, raise families and have kids. They discover the great uncles and aunts to these kids. They don't want to kids themselves. They want to, they want to isolate themselves usually with their own gender in monasteries. They still sleep mm-hmm. with the opposite gender, you know, and, and, and then they go into monkhood. And, and this is what I do. So what I represent is the will to intelligence or the will to wisdom, which complements the masculine will to transcendence and complements the feminine will to reproduction. And therefore, the transcendence that men are seeking when they have children and the reproduction that women are in love when they have children can be reconciled with each other through the will to intelligence. This is yeah. perfectly performed in all cultures when a man and woman get married in front of a priest. This is the wisdom integrating priest, the two priest, sides. Priest represents the wisdom, especially for the man, because probably also the older man, the man goes to for advice and takes his therapy with. And, and the priest then marries the man and the woman into a couple and explains that as a priest and as a representative of society as a whole, we are here to support you so that you in your self-arranged marriage, which is a corporation intended to have babies and raise a family, we will do our utmost to support you and your children. And this, this is, is marriage. This is, as you said earlier, that maturity is under, is understanding how subconscious you are to, to integrate externally the wisdom to say that, oh, our two poles of this 
human dialectic, male and female, actually needs a third pole of wisdom to be able to create a container for us to operate and integrate this. What I hear is, is that needs to be external. And the modern relationship wisdom is telling you that every couple needs to be the man, the woman, and the priest to hold the wisdom itself, to learn the relationship dynamics themselves so that they can perpetuate the relationship. And what I'm hearing from you is that the spiritual guidance of monks, of priests, of monasteries, of people who are contemplatives and and uh, perpetual learners of relationship spirituality and integration i would say should be an external force in any relationship that you want to have last and especially in a relationship where you want to reproduce and uh, bring children into this is exactly what it means to be an adult is to understand your own limits mm. once you go into reproduction with a woman in a relationship you run a fucking company together with her all your attention, all your energy will be towards keeping the sex life alive, having the babies and nurturing the babies. You're not expected to be wise about it, especially with the first child. You have no idea what awaits you. That's exactly why elders need to be around you, your grandparents, et cetera, but also a monasterial culture. The way I discovered this was that when the men's movement exploded some 10 years ago in Northern Europe and North America, And I discovered that the men's movement wasn't really needed in strong monasterial cultures because then father and son go to the monastery together. And that's exactly how father passes on to son his hopes for him in his life. And through the father, the son learns to date women and he learns how to respect women. He learns how to have really fruitful, great relationships with women like he's had with the mother, right? When that happens and the monasterial culture supports that, You don't need the men's movement. The reason we needed the men's movement desperately in Northern Europe and in North America was to discover that we have to return to a monasterial culture that supports men, especially father-son relationships. Because father-son relationships today are totally broken in Protestant Europe and Protestant North America. I agree. And my next question, my next question was, if this is the advice that there are elder men around to to do this well we're kind of fucked right now in north america because the boomers suck yeah right and then you go and see a therapist who replaces the priest or the monk the therapist can only in a secular world ask you but what do you really want and all the therapist does is reduce you to your hedonistic desires your most shallow part of your personality and doesn't challenge you at all to have an existential understanding of the relationship with women yeah. And basically, the therapy industry may, turns men into sex addicts and failures at marriage and terrible mm-hmm. dads because therapy is completely based on an idea of a secular world, which I don't believe in at all. I believe one of my famous one line is relig- religion is for men and spirituality is for women. What I mean really is that religion has an organized way of containing masculinity and give men the proper direction so they can do the right things in life. It's exactly wow. what's needed. Whereas I leave spirituality to women because women can pick together their own little box of things because they're going to stay with the will to reproduction. Whereas men have to understand both wisdom and transcendence to understand what it means to be masculine. And this is why I insist that we cannot live any longer without religion as men. 
And, and Christianity, I think, has failed in this department because Christianity was really a religion about family, keeping family together, about the woman and the child. But the reason why Christianity didn't hold up as a religion for men, especially when it's Protestant, was, of course, what opened us up to capitalism and nationalism and other masculine pseudo-religions that are all the things we have today in the West. And this is why my work is so intensely focused on monasterial culture, on proper religion, and on constructive religion for men. Religion for priests, chiefs, warriors, hunters, okay, and all the different go? male archetypes. Where do we go right now? Because basically God is dead, we killed him, and we all know the travesties and the, the genocides that were carried out by people in position of power inside organized religion. Where do we yeah. go here, 2022, for men to get back to this religiosity that you claim with, you know, like, how do we throw the baby out with the bathwater? What's the baby? What's the bathwater? And what does it look like today? Well, only the Protestant God has been killed. You cannot say that God in general has been killed. God is just the name for the ultimate, for the absolute. So if you and I sit down together as brothers and have a great plan for the future, the vision where we want to go, we, the name of that point we're pointing towards is God. Yeah, I agree. And most of That's us- why reli this... religion is always an exodology when it comes to men. It's always a journey from here to somewhere else that is hopefully higher and more noble than the place we're at right now. And that improvement on the world is what men are obsessed with. That's, I agree. That's called, that's called exodology. I agree. And as we- Basically, as I understand it and experience it today, I feel like I can, um, as Peter Lindbergh says, code switch, where I can speak Christianity with Christians, and I can speak, um, I can speak like New Age God with like New Age people, and but the thing that almost is laughable is when you speak to a Christian who thinks that God is actually a guy in the clouds. It's a man. It's a, it's a thing. Yeah. So I surely you're not recommending us to get back to the, um, the projection or the control or the, the, the bathwater of organized religion as a misconception of the creator of the universe being a man in a, in a robe on a cloud. Yeah, but, but I think Christianity, just... I think Christianity and Islam are dead and over. And we we're gonna see the secularization of Islamic society as well over the next 50 years. It's gonna be very rapid. Uh, I highly recommend people to study the Silk Road Triad. The Silk Road Triad are Zoroastrianism, Taoism, and Buddhism. These are three religions that were created for men along the trade routes of the world. Mm. They are totally superior when it comes to, say, spiritual teachings. And that's exactly why Buddhism is growing so quickly in the West at the moment. Mm -hmm. I highly recommend people to study Buddhism seriously. And I highly recommend men to also go into Taoism and Zoroastrianism if they, if they can. I personally converted Zoroastrianism. It's probably the most phallic of the three religions, but they're actually just, it's just the Persian and the Chinese and the Indian extensions of the Silk Road itself. And these are the spiritual schools along the Silk Road. And I think the trade route religions have a quality to them. Judaism should be included by them. By the way, it's also trade religion. The trade religions have a quality to them that the sort of pop religions, very centralized pop religions of Christianity and Islam were perfect for a feudal society. 
They went under crisis and went into the sort of capitalist industrial society we lived in. The Enlightenment in Europe in the 17th century should be taken very seriously. It was a massive attack on Christianity. And after that, Christianity failed. It didn't hold up. And uh, I personally believe that if you're serious about your religion as a man or your spirituality as a woman, I would highly recommend people to seek to seek into these wisdom traditions that I think are totally superior to Christianity and Islam. Christianity is a big lie. There was no life after death. There never was any. And so is Islam, same lie. The biggest lie ever. So I'm not a big fan of Christianity and Islam. Mm. That's the problem. So I don't do the code switching that Peter Lindbergh talks about. I'm, I have to be brutally honest with people and say that I can't really engage with the religion that is so off the hook that I cannot believe in it at all. Uh, it's, it's, it's like talking to a grown-up person about believing in Santa Claus. You know, it's just, no, please, we must move on. And I take religion very seriously. And I think the pursuit of serious religion is not a pursuit or a survival of a dead religion. The Protestant God is dead. It's a pursuit of religion that actually is credible to us today that we can believe in. It has to be so convincing to you that it's least as convincing as your own existence. Wow. Yeah. If your own existence is more real to you than your religion, then it's a fake religion. Definitely fake religion. You haven't gone deep enough when it comes to religion. Okay. I, I love this idea. And as I'm so glad I continue to pry and investigate how you think here because it's clarifying and um, helpful in general. I think that the, as you called it, the Silk Road triad, Buddhism, Taoism, and Zoroastrianism. Yes. These are, as you say, real religions that aren't based on a total fictitious existence of creator and uh, sold as a solution to the fear of death. Um, Not, none of them has to create a god. Yeah. None of them has a duality. None of them has a dualism that God and existence are separate from each other. Uh, if you speak about God in any of these religions, it is the universe itself. Yeah. Or it's the difference between that universe. Or it can even be a negation. But it's proper metaphysics. Buddhism has survived really well. So has Taoism and Zoroastrianism. That's not the case in Christianity and Islam. They are children's religions. They, 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 they're feudal. They, they even speak of their own believers as the children of God. Well, yeah. we're supposed to be the adults of God, if anything, by now. So let's yeah. move on. Ah, uh, ah, uh, I love that. That they speak of them as the children of God. The, the insistence or the insinuation of uh, infantile, undeveloped, unmatured <laughs> followers of the religion is just yeah. hilarious. Yes. <laughs> Fucking well, the whole hard. Point, the whole point of religion was that we should be adultified. We should want to be adults. And great kids with great parents, where all of these things have worked, you know, the psychoanalysis has worked. Um, they they want to be adults. They can't wait until they grow up and have, get the responsibility and the freedom of an adult person. Yeah. And that's exactly what children should aspire towards. Yeah. And surely there are people who have existed in Christianity and Islam, I'm sure, who have been adults and seen the baby of the religion and the wisdom in the tradition and the wisdom in the teaching and have gone to that. I've known a number of them in my life. Um, but I oh, sure, sure thing. But now we live in a global world and all of these religious traditions are available to us. Yeah. Then my recommendation to anybody serious about their spiritual development is to go into the Silk Road tribe because I'm writing about it right now in the new book. And 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 uh, the 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 um 
they're so vastly superior when it comes to understanding the world. They don't have the problem with the creator God or the life after death or any of these myths that Christianity and Islam have been preaching people because it was cheap to promise them these things. And these things, of course, never held true. The biggest lie ever is the life after death. And I I think it's a cruel lie that, you know, the overlords have told, you know, their slaves throughout humanity. And, and the end of slavery is the end of believing in children's stories and becoming a real adult. That is the true end of slavery. Yeah. And very Nietzsche. Very Nietzsche. Yeah. So much of what we've talked about today has been almost like if I were to try to title this episode right here, it's almost like relation advice for men from Bard. And <laughs> it is. And I, I'm so grateful that I get to be like, like almost an arbiter of this to people including myself, it's so helpful for me because I literally, as we talk, I just like look at my own relationship and I see mistakes that I'm making where, you know, the, my lover is pained by the amount I share with her. And I'm like, Oh fuck Bard's Bard's like whipping me for that one is like a fucking ruler on the knuckles. I'm like, Oh shit. He's right. Okay. Oh, yep. That's so I, I, you know, as we come to our time here, I'd love to hear from you it's 2022 and there's a bunch of men who are um, struggling to make sense of the post postmodern miasma in relationships. I think that the advice that you gave that you want to be tight enough with a crew of men who can see, support, acknowledge, and appreciate you so you don't have to go looking for that from women so that you can actually be a humble, resilient servant to women, children, family, life, lovership is so beautiful. I love that. I love that. I so want that for myself in the moments in my life where I have felt so confident in myself and with my relationships from men that women just are fucking magnetic to me. They're just like, exactly. who is that? They're just, exactly. ma- I'm just the, like, I'm, I'm the so hottest. glad you discovered that. That's <laughs> the secret. The secret is to be so good with your pals, with your brothers, yeah. that women love you for it. Women don't want Marlboro Man. No, you. We, they we, don't want him at all. They find yeah. him scary. There's yeah. something wrong with him. They want the guys who walk in through the bar and not, hardly even look at the women, look at each other, have fun. And then when they get a little bit drunk and they have fun and they're really comfortable with each other, they start looking around flirting with the girls and the women love it. It's like, yeah. oh God, that handsome guy over there, he's got great friends. He's really <laughs> comfortable with them. He gets recognition from his friends. Wow. Wow, he's flirting with me. What a lover he could be, right? That's a woman want from men. Yeah, and I love this. It's also like, you know, the controversial nature that you've referred to men as being penis-bearing creatures and women as vagina is very controversial these days. That's a very bold of you to insist that men are just men and women are women. Um, I would even say that there is a God called the penis and there's a God that's called the vagina. So you, you said the Protestant God was dead. I agree, but there's certainly gods and goddesses out there. I think their genital yeah. organs are fantastic. They're absurdly ugly and still so fucking attractive. It's unbelievable. <laughs> that track played by nature in itself speaks volumes. Nobody can really say that a penis or a vagina are aesthetically pleasing. That's exactly what they're not. And that's what thrills us. Why are we so obsessed with these genital organs that look so fucking ugly? 
Is it, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> God, that's just like the the uh, proof in aesthetics and and user experience that, that it just proves it. It just proves yeah. that it's hilarious. That's yes. hilarious, Bart. I think this is all so helpful, man. Honestly, just any time where you can encourage people to have more robust community to support their relationships externally and that you can let the pressure off of your own relating style that you have to be perfect in relationship and know all of this relational wisdom and all of this conflict resolution and all of this shit, which I don't think is unimportant. I think you should be intelligent in relationships. I think you should still know how to verbally communicate with precision and with, with care and with an understanding that your subconscious and your conditioning trains you to feel a certain way, which is going to train you to act a certain way. And between the stimulus and response is your work that you can grow and mature and become an adult where you don't have to be hurt every time your partner says X or all this stuff. Um, but I want to, I want to zoom in sexually here. You know, you, you and I have spoken so much about Tantra and sex lives of, of, of people. And I'm curious how you see, or if you were to just recommend a certain practice that would start to clean up the sexual relationships we have between men and women, what is like the first, what is like a Tantra 101 look like? And specifically from the man's side, you're advising the men here. Stop coming. And the woman should get off the clitoris and discover the other six potential orgasms she can have. Hmm. So the best tantric advice is to get women off the clitoris, which is just irritating if you want to fuck her, and you get off the coming thing. And suddenly your sex life will not consist of six-minute sessions. It will consist of six-hour sessions, and women will love you for it. Just stop coming. Hard Train stop, never. Yeah. If you ever come, you come when you jerk off and it doesn't mean anything. Mm. Don't make it a thing. Stop making coming a thing. Teach a woman to stop making coming a thing. The only reason why women think men should come is because they think that's the goal of the sexual act. So she has confirmation that she's uh -huh. done her job. Women don't want you to come. Get off the coming. And one little smart piece of advice for men, having an erect penis is never your responsibility. Mm. Never. If woman does not arouse you, it's her problem, not yours. Men who go into sexual relationships and think they're going to deliver by performing are terrible lovers. Mm. Just stop performing. Just let your own body explore with a woman. You're a heterosexual man. You will be turned on. Let her explore it. Let her suck your dick or whatever so you get your heart on. Let her do her work. Because one of the worst things women know is to take a guy home from a bar and go with him into her bedroom and she goes into the bathroom to fix herself and you know, fix herself up. And she comes back out and he's watching a porn movie to jerk off with his dick so he has a heart on when she arrives. Total turn off. Mm -hmm. to stop performing, get, get engaged, really engaged. And the two tricks then when you get engaged with a woman is to stop coming and train yourself not to come with her. And you will discover you can have sex with her for hours and she will love you to death for it. And she needs to get off the clitoris orgasm. It's become standard among women. It's almost masculine 
almost aggressively so. And I always advise women just get off the clit. The fact that you can get an orgasm from it only covers up the fact you have six other forms of orgasm deeper down your pussy. They're going to be much more intense than that one. So just, just stay off it and then discover you've done something. If he stops coming, you can get off the clitoris as a woman. This, this, this is a standard. The best fucking advice I've done when it comes to tantric sex. Seems to work for everybody. I love this. Yep. It's like a mic drop. That's yep. it. Alexander Bard mic drop on the consexuality. <laughs> now you go off and practice, Ari. I'm just okay. I'm just I will. Co- I'm just your coach, right? I will. No, I appreciate yeah. the coaching, and I've had yeah. lots of different uh, phases in my life where coming was so far down the list of of things, and yeah. you know the 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 Ayurvedic wisdom is mirrors exactly that that you know a man should be getting once off, a month. Get- yeah, well, getting off the coming or not making it a thing at all is a bit like getting off the kick-seeking when you do drugs. Yeah, I hear that. Which is absolutely necessary. As soon as you're getting close to kick-seeking, get off the drugs instantly. Get off yeah. all of them. Get oh. out of it and ask yourself, why the hell did you end up there? Because the point is psychedelics not to seek the kick. Same thing with sex. And this constant coming and the fast fucks and all that the women hate the men are into are only a result of jerking off to pornography and then thinking coming is the big thing and having three minutes sex is a disaster. Yeah. It's just missing the whole point. It's exactly like kick seeking is when it comes to drugs and alcohol. So get off the kick seeking, get off the coming seeking. I love this Gandalf. This has been, um, I'm so glad you came to the Shire and Frodo is so grateful that a wizard (laughs) like you has taken his time to speak to a (laughs) hobbit like me. You're fantastic, Ari. And good luck. Good luck with the base jumps. <laughs> thanks, buddy. Okay, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. If you've made it to this part of the episode of the podcast, thank you so much for listening. Please consider becoming a supporter of this show for as little as $5 a month. Just buy me a beer. I bet if you just listen to this Alexander Bard, I bet you would buy me a beer. That's patreon.com slash airy in the air. If you if the recurring thing is just abhorrent to you, Venmo me or PayPal me. Airy in the air on PayPal. paypal.me slash airy in the air that'll do it thank you so much we'll see you on the next episode